morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? We got all our lines wide open. Give us a call. We'll go ahead and put you right up at the top of the list. That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call. Oh, absolutely. And you know, just in case you don't get a chance to call in, don't care to call in, occur to you. Maybe later. think of something at 1055. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you can always visit Walk our website. <laughs> there you go. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A G C O A U T O.com. Easy way to remember that's Altazan's Garage Company. That'll get you there. That's right. And there's several databases you can search on the site, depending on how much or what kind of information you'd like that's it, right. to research. Mm-hmm. And in the very bottom header, there's a little glass little uh, magnifying glass which will search the entire site so you can type something in there and it'll search basically everything with the exception of the vehicle questions that has its own search function because it just operates two different kind of databases so it operates a little bit different so if you have a specific question about your car of course you want to go to vehicle questions right and there the less you type in the more likely is you're going to find an answer right you type in one word you're going to get a lot of information right instead of a certain well, if you want to know something about, say, a shock absorber, rather than typing shock absorber, just type the word shock. Right. And it's going to bring up a lot more information for you. And then you can cull through it and, and find right. what you want. Find whatever you want to find. And that's kind of a short answer to a direct question. And there's close to 600 of those in there. So it used to be every time someone would send me an email or ask a question on the show, I'd write it down, I'd go back. But I find now that I just don't get a whole lot of questions that aren't already in there. <laughs> right. You can always just refer back to the right, question in the, we've on the site. Most of the common questions. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we've got detailed topics. Just put one on there this morning about your yellow headlight lenses. Right. And it shows you a lot of folks don't realize when those headlights turn yellow like that, those are very, very expensive to replace. They are. I and mean, they can cost three or $400 a piece. Right, and they're not made of glass anymore. No, they're plastic. Exactly. Poly, polycarbonate plastic, and there's a method to clean those. And they come out real nice, and you can do it yourself. So I put the name of the chemicals used, and right. I put a little bit of how to do it before and after photos. So something a lot of folks have asked about, those yellow headlights, you just can't see real well with them. It look terrible. That's it. But, and uh, they seem to be getting worse and worse. Yeah, you can pop on there and read about that. And of course, there's articles there on the new tire pressure monitoring system that we confuses about. a lot of folks. There's right. articles there. Articles on oil viscosity. I mean, you name it, there's an article on there. There's plenty of great information there, depending on what you're looking for. Whatever you're looking for. So pop on there and see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. And we've got Steve who's been patiently holding. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Yes, sir. I got left with an old 2000 model Crown Victoria. Okay. And the windshield wipers, when you turn them off, they stay stuck straight up instead yes. of in the down position. Mm-hmm. Y'all ever heard anything about yes. that? Yes, that's fairly common on those, Steve. A couple of things can cause it. A lot of times it is the wiper motor, but it's also got a power supply issue that supplies power when you turn them off to bring them back down. It's called a part cam assembly, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's in that. So we just have to check it and see which one it is on that particular car. But, yeah, I have seen that problem on that car more than a few times. Yeah. What about, a, I got an 06 Chevrolet Silverado. Mm-hmm. Is there a, what do you call the cab filter in that thing or not? No, not on 06. They quit putting them in there in 04. Oh, okay. All right. Well, they started, what, in 98? Well, I heard about them, but uh, I didn't know if mine had one. Yeah, or not. they started in 98. I think they ran up to 03, and nobody was changing them, so they just quit putting them in there. <laughs> nobody knew where they were. <laughs> nobody knew where they were. It's a good idea, but they just, I don't know. Yeah. All right, well, thank you. Okay, man, thank you. Bye-bye. And we're going to our lines with Daryl. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good, good morning. 
I have a 1999 Cutlass uh-huh. Oldsmobile. Uh-huh. It, my car failed inspection. They said it was a PO113, the intake temperature circuit, high input. Okay. And a PO302, the cylinder two so misfire. Fire, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Is that expensive fix? Or? Well, see, Daryl, you don't have enough information to know because all you got is a code. All that tells yes. you is the circuits that are causing the problem. Right. For instance, a idle air temperature sensor could be the sensor's bad. It could be the wire's cut. It could be... The intake is blocked for airflow. It could be the computer's bad. The misfire mm-hmm. could be any one of about 2,000 different things. So you oh, just don't have enough information to determine anything. You're going to have to bring it to someone who knows what they're doing. They start with the code, but that code is just a piece of information. It doesn't Understood. tell you what's wrong. It's sort of like a fire alarm in a 100-story building. The right. alarm goes off and it tells you it's a problem, <laughs> but it don't say what it's going to take to put it out. and <laughs> don't say right. where it's at. Right. So it's that kind of a deal. It may be something that's relatively simple. What I would do if it were my car is I would go after the misfire code first. Okay. Just because the misfire could also cause that other code to show up depending right. on what it is. Okay. So misfire is a class one code. I would treat that first. And that could be something as simple as a bad spark plug, bad spark plug wire, something like I'm about that. To, uh... A coil pack. It could be a coil pack. It could be any number of things. You're just going to have to take it to someone who knows what they're doing and let them diagnose it for you. The reason being, see, what a lot of folks mistakenly do, they say, well, maybe it's the coil pack. So they start changing coil packs. Okay, well, those are 100 (laughs) bucks a piece, and they change all three of them, and it's still misfiring. Well, now what? You just blew 300 bucks for absolutely nothing. And you could have got a diagnosis for under an hour's labor. Yeah, I told you what was actually wrong with it. So. Changing parts is a good strategy for a rich man who is trying to get rid of his money. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I told the guy, I said, man, you're going to run out of money before you run out of guesses. I'll guarantee you that. So bring it to somebody, let them diagnose it. Even if you want to do the work yourself, you can do that, but let them show you, tell you what it is. And I change all the spark plugs. Mm -hmm. I change the spark plug wires. I got the fuel injector clean. Yes, sir. Well, see what you might want to, try if you suspect it might be a call pack is go take number two call pack and switch it to number three call pack and see if the misfire moves you got one two three four they're together just switch the two call packs and see if your misfire moves if it moves then it's the call pack if it doesn't move it ain't that all right you got got an electronic spark control module that runs the call pack i mean you got on and on and on we could probably talk for two days about stuff it could be (laughs) But the point is, you're going to run out of money before you run out of guesses. No doubt. So well, I'll I, I try that. Uh, it's going to be a lot cheaper to pay somebody to tell you what's wrong with it. That's what I'll probably do. Uh, first, I'll maybe switch, do that switch. Yeah, route. try that. See if, if it goes to a P303, then you know that's it because the only thing you changed was a call. Yes, sir. All righty. I appreciate the time. All right, Thank, all right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right, and we got Harith online. Good morning, Harith. How y'all? Doing Good great, morning. sir. About how long do spark plugs wise last? A 987. The last time I changed them was 06. Yeah, it depends, Harith, on what kind of wire you use, what kind of conditions they're operating under. A number of things can make them fail. As a general rule, they're probably going to last somewhere between 4 and four and 10 years, depending uh-huh. how close they route it to the exhaust, how high the underhood temperature is, what kind of wire is used. You know, the AC Delco wires, I find, hold up a little better than the aftermarket stuff does. A lot I has to do with... in there. Yeah. They do fail eventually. They all go bad. They, you got a 100% failure rate on them sooner or later. It's just a matter of time. Right. Now, my thermostat still uh, reached 210 degrees. Am I... Should I stop driving the vehicle? 
is not warming up. Well, yeah, you're doing damage to the truck if you if you run around with low temperature because what's happening if it can't reach full operating temperature, number one, it's going to double pulse the injectors, which is going to burn a lot more fuel. It's extra, doing that. Yeah, the extra yeah. fuel is going to wash all, all off the cylinder walls, which is going to wear your cylinder walls out. And number three, the extra gas is going in the catalytic converter, which is going to burn the converter up. So it's going to get oh, wow. real expensive in time. I mean, it's, it needs to be fixed. I done been to two shops, and they refused to work on it. Well, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> Y'all don't have no open slots right now? It's like always, Reeve. Stay pretty well busy. Yeah. Okay. Okay, man. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. And we got Wayne online. Good morning, Wayne. Morning. Hey. Good morning. I've got an 06 Dodge Durango. Okay. I bought secondhand last year. Okay. The check engine light come on. It's, by the way, I purchased the uh, aftermarket warranty with the vehicle. The check engine light come on. Mm-hmm. The cam position sensor okay. was bad. So rather than pay the deductible, I changed that myself. Mm-hmm. The light stayed on, sure. so I took it to the dealership. Mm-hmm. They told me the catalytic converters were showing bad. And all the O2 sensors. Okay. But the, the insurance company said to replace the catalytic converters before they will mess with the sensors. And of course, that's got to come out of my pocket. They don't pay for it. How many, uh, I can't how many miles find, you got on it, Wayne? It has, at the moment, I'm actually standing Roughly. 108,000. Okay, yeah, over 80. Yeah. Uh, the reason I asked the catalytic converters are covered under an eight year, 80,000 mile warranty. So if you had under 80, they would be under warranty. Can't even get them. Yeah, they're not they're not available. They're, they're all on back. Order. Yeah, Dodge has a aftermarket. huge huge amount of parts on back order right now. I know I've got a set of motor mounts on a caravan. Been on back order for almost six months now. When they went bankrupt, they bankrupted all their vendors, so you know, they just didn't pay anybody. So now nobody wants to make parts for them. Now I've got I no would, online. I mean, no offense, but it sounds like me you going about this the way expensive way. I would probably try to find somebody competent to diagnose this vehicle before I start spending a whole lot more money, just because. You already bought a cam sensor you didn't need. To say that the catalytic converter and all the sensors are bad is almost impossible. I'm not saying it is impossible, but almost impossible. That sounds like what they call a shotgun approach. Hey, we're going to change everything, and that ought to fix it. Well, that was the dealership that told me. I'm telling you, that's almost impossible for all four oxygen sensors and the catalytic converter to be bad. One bad oxygen sensor can say the converter is bad because the oxygen sensors check the converter. So if you go change all those converters, you put a bunch of aftermarket junk on there, and you still got the same code, not only have you spent a whole bunch of money, you made the problem worse, you still got the original problem. Cannot read codes and say, hey, that's what's wrong with the car. It does not work that way. All that is and is a starting point. Tons of shops, tons of dealerships that think that's the way it works, and they have no clue. You need okay, to get now, that thing diagnosed by somebody competent. Now, how do I know somebody's got the proper system or, or competent enough to tell me exactly what's the problem? Go to my website and look, how do I find a great shop? Okay. Read that article, and that should get you started. And that's agcoautomotive.com? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All righty. Thank you very much. Thank All you, right. Wayne. Bye-bye. Boy, I tell you what, one of these days I'll learn which one he's I was going to say, you, you've been here, what, 20 18, years? 18 years. Yeah. <laughs> I still you, push you, the wrong buttons. <laughs> 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 hey, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. That's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business, and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters, and I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not a you. 
You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Go! 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call, and we'll put you right up at the top of the list, get you an answer, get the old car going, get the old car stopping, whatever hey, it needs. Whatever it needs. <laughs> Last two callers basically kind of hit on a point that I know we've talked about a hundred times, but you just can't ever seem to get that point hammered home. And That's that right. is diagnostic trouble codes. In fact, I've got two or three articles in my website on it. That is not information that is data and there's a huge huge difference in information and data a trained technician can take that data and he can combine it with several other pieces of information and he can come about a diagnosis as to what's wrong with the car but if you just take that and take it literally and start throwing parts you're going to go so far wrong right. not only are you going to throw your money away on parts but you're probably going to create other problems which are also going to have to be diagnosed you go and you put an aftermarket converter on the car say well now you got a substandard converter so now you do have a po420 exactly that you didn't have before we've the seen same, it happen well yeah well, we've you, taken several of them off it's got the same coders that had before you say you don't know what to do now you start changing more parts but what right. it was, the original problem was an upstream O2 sensor was bad, say, which you could have changed for 100 bucks. Well, now you're going to spend 1000 bucks. you got more problems you created. So you finally changed the sensor. Well, the code's still in there. Well, that wasn't it. Well, now what? So then you changed the computer. Well, that wasn't it. Well, by the time you spent about five grand, you could have fixed for 100 bucks. That's it. And plus, you got a bunch of stuff on your car that you don't need. Well, it isn't as good as what you took off. Even if you want to fix the car yourself, mm -hmm. get a professional diagnosis. That's right. Get someone who knows what they're doing. The reason I think that folks are reluctant to do that is because everyone at some point in time has went and paid for a diagnosis and it was wrong. Right. But what you got to realize is just because a guy's got a shingle out front saying he does auto repair does not mean he knows what he's doing. Exactly. You know, you can refer back to that article on the website right. about how to pick a great shop. Right. And that will get you to a, a decent shop, someone you can deal with. Right. I don't want to pick on one type of shop or another, but a lot of people say, well, I went to a deal. Oh, that's nothing. All that is is a guy who bought a franchise to sell cars. That's right. That shop is operated the exact same as every other shop in the world. It's not factory trained expert. That is not GM. That is not Ford. That's not Christ. That's some guy who bought a franchise to sell cars running a shop. If he's good and he keeps the shop up and he trains his people, it's a good shop. If not, it's no better than any other shop anywhere else. And don't think that you're getting dealer parts when you go no, there. Not necessarily. I was not talking to a guy at one of the parts stores, and he says he sells a lot more of those old white box cheap filters. Right. Started out, I was asking him for AC Delco filters. He said, well, nobody buys them but you. I said, well, I don't know. Exactly. I said, well, what else are they buying? He said, well, these old cheap. And he says, you'd be amazed at how many of those I deliver to Big name brand shops, dealerships, right. and everywhere else. That's They're right. Buying them up by a hundred. So I see the underside of a car, probably six cars a day. Right. And you walk by underneath, you look around, make sure everything's right. You look at the oil filter, mm -hmm. and it's not a right. factory oil right. filter. It just came from it. Come from some dealer or some yeah. independent shop or yeah. something of that nature under warranty work they're supposed to use dealer parts but when right. they're fixing your car they're the same as any other shop out there and they can do anything they want to do it's no different just because they have that 
GM, Ford, Chrysler, Toyota, whatever name on the exactly. outside of the building does not necessarily mean they're going to follow any particular guidelines. That's right. Doesn't mean they're not, but it doesn't mean they are either. So you just got to check. You got to know what you're getting. Hey, let's go back and take some of these phone calls. We've got Johnny online. Good morning, Johnny. Uh, good morning. Good yes, morning. Sir. Yeah, I have a 04 Avalanche. Okay. And the RPM gauge is stuck over in the right hand. Yes. Right. Would I be hurting it if I drive it like that, or what? I need no, to sir. Get it fixed. It's not going to hurt it, Johnny. That is under recall, up to eighty thousand miles. Now, if you got more than eighty thousand, it's not covered. Mm-hmm. But most of the time on those, that's going to probably be the instrument panel clusters going out. It's got six little servo motors, and it runs everything on that dash. Okay. Most of the time, the speedometer goes out first, just because it moves the most. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's a tax, sometimes it's a gas gauge, sometimes it's a temperature gauge. Do you have under 80,000 miles? Oh, yes, under 80,000. Okay, well, call the dealership and tell them what it's doing, and they should fix that for you for free because okay, those vehicles then. were under recall for that problem. Okay, then. They'll change the instrument panel cluster out, and that should take care of it. Okay, then. Thank you. All right, Mr. Johnny. Thank you, sir. Thank Bye-bye. You. Let's go back to the lines with Gary. Good morning, Gary. Hey, good morning to you. Good you? morning. Doing great, sir. I've got a 2001 GMC pickup truck okay. and the environmental selector switch. Everything's blowing out. The defroster or okay. And I'm sure it's probably one of the little actuators up inside the dash. Well, which is about probably not going to be one actuator if, if everything's doing that because you have like four different actuators and one thing might fail. But if everything went out, it's probably not going to be an actuator. Could be, but probably not. Well, everything blows. I mean, the air conditioning right. works, the heating works. It right. just blows right. through the defroster, right. not through the anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, the only one that could possibly do that would be the mode actuator if it were stuck. We don't see a lot of failure on it, but it's possible the mode actuator could be stuck in defrost position, or the mode door may just be jammed. It may not even be the actuator. That one's kind of a bear to get to. you got to take most of the dash out to get to it. My question, I guess, is would that be something I'd need to go to a dealer for? Oh, absolutely no. not. No. Absolutely not, no. Because I've been told by some people that the dealers have the special computers they can hook up and work <laughs> each individual actuator and make sure it's working and all this. Well, guess what? <laughs> they lied to you. Yep. <laughs> we got everything GM's got. I got a tech tool with the same scan tool they use. And so does about half the other independent shops in Baton Rouge. We can do all the software uh, programming. Yeah, they I can re- do it everything. Reprogram it. I can do anything it needs. Well, good. I'll give you all a call. All right. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for your help. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we've got James has been patiently holding. Good morning, James. Hey, how y'all doing? doing great, Good morning. Sir. Got a 03 Expedition two-wheel drive, uh-huh. 80,000 miles. Okay. Rear end, I know there's some known issues with them, but mm-hmm. it's from a stop, taking off, accelerating out of the stop, and if you turn to the right or to the left any degree, you get a groaning out of the clutch. It's a positive traction rear or limited slip differential? Yeah, and I guess the question is, it's a bother, but it's something I need to do something with. I would fix it because what will happen, those clutches will eventually chatter up and they can even break the clip and then it can come apart and tear the rear end up. I've had good luck on those, James, by draining that oil and refilling it with fresh oil and putting the Chrysler additive rather than the Ford additive in it. Really? It's a uh, friction yes, modifier. They're all pretty much the same. I just find the Chrysler additive works better on uh-huh. when, when you have a problem. I've got the part number for it at the shop but if you just go to the dodge dealer and ask if it comes in a little bottle put one in see if that quiets it down if it doesn't you can even put two in there it's not going to hurt it i wouldn't put any more than two if you put two in there and still do it you got a problem the clutch is starting to come apart you're losing the lining something you have to go in and repair it and that's not a major deal to repair as long as you catch it before it gets too bad most time though i have been able to fix that by putting the chrysler additive now you running 75 140 in that I assume so. It's got whatever it was in at the factory. 
Yeah, well, it's time to drain right. and fill it anyway. It's, it's probably got how many miles you got? 80. Yeah, 80,000. You need to drain and fill it anyway. That is a 75W140 synthetic oil that goes in it. And just changing the oil may help considerably because that oil breaks down over time. But it do have okay. a friction modifier. And like I said, I've, just, I've used the Chrysler. We use it pretty much in everything now because it just seems to work better than some of the others. Okay, what, how much should you put in there? It comes in a little bottle. It's uh, like a little two-ounce bottle. You put one bottle in it. Okay. All righty. Can I ask you one other quick sure, question? Sure, go right ahead. Same vehicle. It's got, and I think they only did it for one year. It's got a mirror reset function. When you back up, yeah. the mirrors will tilt down. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it was an annoying right. function. Well, when you put it back in drive, you can twirls and stuff up in the tree. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I wonder what the fix is for that. If you- I would check first and see if there's a reprogram for it. Sometimes... I know they, they had a lot of problems with that, and I think they subsequently just dropped that function because it was one of those bonehead things that nobody really used much. Sometimes yeah. there's reprograms available that help with that. You'd have to diagnose it other than that. It's got a little stepper motor with a little rheostat that tells it what position it's in, and it mm-hmm. measures counts. And if those counts get off, what it does, it doesn't know where it's at. So it starts flipping it way up and flipping it down, doing all kind of crazy stuff. So That's I would exactly probably first try a reprogram on it. If that doesn't do it, you may be into changing the motor. I think you can also disable it if, if you don't use it much. Yeah, it, it can be, yeah, it can be right. pretty pricey to repair. Okay. All righty. Well, thanks, Al. Okay, James. Thank you, man. Bye. Bye-bye. You are a part of the Automotive Hour. We'd love to have you. And we're going back to line with Jim. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, got, a, got a question for you on an 07 Toyota Avalon. Okay been a great car it's got one issue that i can't seem to solve it's, okay. when you step on it there's a kind of a rotten egg smell that comes through the car every now and then yeah jim rotten egg smell is i may be telling you the wrong word but i think it's sulfur dioxide which is almost always a catalytic converter type issue hmm. something to do it doesn't necessarily mean the converter's bad but it could be something is getting into that converter that shouldn't be are you getting any kind of check engine light at all no, no, no not at all. It could be that the converter is going bad. Is this a car that you drive a lot every day, or is it sit? It's, it's got about 45,000 miles on it, and my wife actually drives it. I've tried putting premium gas in it. That doesn't seem to help either. Yeah, it's not going to really help on that one. That is almost always something to do with the catalytic converter. Do you get out on the highway with the car a lot? When I drive it and I do take it on the highway, mm-hmm. that's when I usually notice it. And it's, you know, getting merging onto the interstate or something right. like that when you have to step on it a well, little see, bit. Well, see, what you need to do is probably get it out on the interstate and run it at speed. Get up to about 70 and hold it for like an hour. That's when that converter fires off and it really gets hot. And that's when it tends to burn out the impurities in it. Okay. Now, beyond that... There is a method we can use to clean the converter using a scan tool. We've got some stuff we can do, which is relatively inexpensive to do. I would probably try that, and beyond that, there's not going to be much you could be able to do other than replace the converter. Okay. And that's pretty pricey on it. And it's, let's see, how many miles are on it, Jim? 45,000. Well, now, you're still under warranty on that. See, that's an eight-year, 80,000-mile warranty on that converter. Okay. So you might want to just take it back and tell them you got a rotten egg smell and see if they'll cover that under warranty. Even though it's not broken yet, sooner or later it's probably going to. I see. But that conver- that's almost always going to be a catalytic converter problem. And like I said, that is under your 880 warranty. Well, I'll check it out. I check with them and see. And you know, if they won't cover it, let me know. We'll try to clean it. If that doesn't do it, then you just have to argue with them and Hopefully, it'll fail before 80,000 miles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. Go Saints. Yes, sir. You got it. Bye-bye. 
right, we got to take one more quick little break. Sylvia and Alan, you guys hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Lewis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> Ho, ho, ho! Lewis! Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? And we're going live with Sylvia. Good morning, Sylvia. Good morning. Good morning. I have a 2002 Turbo Diesel Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. Transmission's having problems with it. Okay. I called last week and was right at the end of the show, and you couldn't answer my okay. questions. Jumping, it's hesitating, it's roaring, <laughs> and sometimes the car even shuts down, and I just pull over. I figured it out by myself. I'll just pull over. On the side of the road, and after a few minutes, it'll crank back up. Yeah, you probably got more problems than a transmission, Sylvia, because a transmission is not going to make it die and not start. Okay. That's not ever going to happen. And before I did any kind of transmission work on there at all, I would find out what the running problem is. Okay. Simply because the running problem is going to vastly affect the transmission. The transmission takes all of its inputs from the engine. So if the engine is not running right, it's going to start not shifting right it's going to hold it in lower gears trying to make power and all that kind of stuff okay. so you need to address that problem first now i'm not saying transmission isn't bad because it may be you got two problems but i would definitely address that running problem first okay if it's doing all that you should have a check engine light on in it so if you do that's where they would start looking would be to check the code see what the codes are and then act on that we could probably talk for two days about the things it could be it okay. almost sounds like it's losing fuel pressure or something just from what you described, the loss of power and the jumping and all that. Okay. But any competent shop that works on Volkswagen should be able to find that for you. Start out putting, like I say, first of all, they check the codes on it. Then they can hook a fuel pressure gauge to it and go drive it. But I think if you get the running problem solved, the transmission problem may go away. Okay. That would be best case. Okay. Do you work on transmissions for Volkswagens? I, I don't work on Volkswagens at all. I'm, just, don't, I'm not a European shop. We strictly work on Japanese and American cars. You got any references? Boy, I really don't, Sylvia, but what you could do is go to the website and read that article on how to select a great shop and just apply those criteria. There are several shops in town that do work on European cars exclusively. Okay. And almost any of those, I would probably try to find a specialist, somebody who works on that a lot, just okay. because they're going to go to the problem a lot sooner than a generalist would. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Alan's been patiently holding. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. i got a question. It's for a 2007 GMC Sierra. All right, sir. I just picked it up last week, and I was going to see if you had anything bad to say about it. 
<laughs> is it the new body style or the classic body style? It's the classic body style. Okay. They've got a few issues. Quirks. It's not really anything major that we've seen so far. What are you using it for, Alan? Just putting around town and... Yeah, everyday driving. Yeah, you're not towing a lot of weight or anything with it? No. I can tell you the things we do on them a lot. I mean, the, the instrument panel cluster had a defect where they go out, and that's covered under eight-year... I'm sorry, covered under 80,000-mile recall. But what will happen is you're driving along 35, 40 miles an hour, and speedometer will jump over to 100, or the tachometer will hang up or something like that. That's one fairly common problem we see. There's another issue with check engine light coming on and the EVAP system. There's a solenoid back by the gas tank that goes out a lot. A few minor problems with the brakes on it. Overall, I guess it's not a horrible truck at all. I wouldn't haul a lot of weight with it. Like, I don't know, they rate those things some ridiculous number, like 5,000, 7,000 pounds. I can tell you, you start putting that behind it, you can kick a transmission and a rear end out of it pretty fast. All right. But if you're driving around town, I mean, if you do the maintenance on it, It'll hold up. It's not a bad vehicle. It's basically the same truck they've been building. They just put a few new gadgets and gizmos on it. Occasionally, we get them where they start blowing hot air. If it's got the dual zone system, they blow hot air on the left side, a little servo motor. We change those a lot. But, again, I could probably pick almost any car deaf because I see the problems. I don't see the ones that don't break. You know? right. So you got to remember 100% of my experience is going to be bad with any car. But overall, I would have to rate it probably, what, an 8 out of 10? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, not a bad truck. Brian's got one. I've got an older model. I've got an O2. And they're not real bad trucks. they basically pretty good. Just do the maintenance. Get the transmission serviced on it. And a real service, not a flush. Change the oil in the rear end, probably around 56,000, 60,000 miles. Change the spark plugs before 100. Change the coolant, probably at about three years. And other than that, there's not a whole lot to be done on it. The fuel filter's in the tank on it, so you can't change that. Okay, I'll be bringing it by your shop probably next week or so. That would be a good idea, right. Alan, because, see, right now it's at a point, it's three years old. We could do a general inspection, tell you everything it needs. We could probably do some things right now that would save you some big, big bucks down the road. Right now it's minor adjustments and fluid changes, but if you let it go too long, it turns into problems. That's where most of the folks who have problems, they just don't do the maintenance on them, and if you don't do that, they're waiting for symptoms, and you're not going to get any symptoms. The first symptom is when a truck breaks down. Right. All righty. I appreciate it. Okay, so All thank right. you. Thank Bye. you. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour? And we got Rocky on the line. Good morning, Rocky. Good morning. How good you morning. Doing great, sir. Very good. I got a 2004 Yukon. Okay. Runs transmission engines good, but my air condition keeps blowing hot on the right side okay. of the vehicle, and it cuts off sometimes. While okay. you're driving, it used to cut off, but now if the fuel's low uh-huh. on it, if it's around a quarter, it won't start. To add fuel for it to kick on. The truck won't start or the air conditioning won't start? No, the truck. The whole truck won't start. That's probably two separate problems completely. Yeah. How about the left side? It blows cold? Yeah, just the right side where yeah. the radio is, right there on the right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's got to be the, the actuator motor. Normally, when they fail, they fail where it blows hot on the left side, but that doesn't mean it couldn't do the opposite. It just depends on how it fails. It's probably going to be a, the duck actuator motor, which controls the temperature side to side. I took it to the shop. They said it keeps grounding out. They reset it, and it works fine for maybe a few yeah. days. And yeah, it so goes right they're back. gonna need to replace the right. motor because what happens on there? It's a little servo or a little actuator. It sends counts uh, from zero to two hundred fifty-five. That's how it knows where it's at. When you slam that control to wide open or all the way on or all the way off, it 
kicks it way up and it starts confusing those counts and it sends it back to the computer and doesn't know where it's at. What you might want to try is when you adjust your temperature, don't kick it all the way up and all the way down. Just kind of gently move it in the middle of the range and see if it doesn't do it. I and usually it, have it set on 70 for air conditioning heat. I never turn it don't on. Don't move it much. Well, then it's probably going to be the actuator motor itself yeah. is bad. It's just losing track of the signal. And when it sends garbage back to the computer, it's going to get confused. Your little right. actuator, little rheostat inside the actuator motor is going out. That's fairly common on those. All right. And fairly the, common problem. On the not start, I would say the first thing I would want to do is put a fuel pressure gauge on and mm -hmm. let it run down and see. It's possible that the gas gauge is just reading wrong and running out of gas at a quarter tank. That would be the most mm -hmm. common thing. Gas gauge may be indicating a quarter when it's empty. Yeah. So that would be the most common thing. Now, another thing is there's a screen. The way that pump works, it's got like a big spring in it that pushes the pump down to the bottom of the tank. If that mm -hmm. spring is busted, it may not be pushing the pump all the way to the bottom of the tank, so it may run out of gas at a quarter tank. The other thing that would occur to me, if anybody's ever changed the fuel pump in it, there are different fuel pumps, and they could have the wrong fuel pump in it. It may not be deep enough if you have a deeper tank. Well, I bought the car two years ago. When it was giving me trouble like this, I, I took it to the mechanic. Someone mm -hmm. told me it could be the fuel filter. Someone was telling me it that. It can't be a fuel filter. I mean, not the fuel filter, fuel pump. I yes, changed sir. the fuel filter this morning. I mean, since then, really, I've been trying to keep it over a quarter of a tank, and I haven't had no problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it sounds like it's just maybe something in between either the gauge is reading wrong. Or the sending unit. Or the sending unit's not all the way at the bottom of the tank. Or the yeah, sending unit could have a bad spot in it. You right. cut off on me on the freeway. It just shut down. Yeah, well, if it runs out of gas, it's going to shut down. Well, I mean, I'll be, I'll be way over half a tank. Well, then that's going to yeah. be a separate issue. Right. I've been that in a while, though, so. Yeah, that's probably two separate issues, although it could be the same. When you check the fuel pump, did you replace the fuel pump in it? Uh, no, I did the fuel filter on it. Yeah, that could be a fuel pump. We'll do that. Sometimes when they get hot, they'll just shut off. Again, you're going to have to have a fuel pressure gauge on it to know. What okay. I would do is bring it to the shop right at a quarter of a tank, right at okay. the range where it normally does it. Okay. Where do you guys stop looking at that? I uh, tell you, why don't you go to our website. It's agcoauto.com. Hit contact, and there's a map from anywhere in the world right there. All right. But uh, when you bring it in, bring it in with right at the area where it does it. That way I don't have to draw a bunch of gas out of it. And we'll see, and we'll probably resolve that problem first because that's going to be fast and easy and cheap to fix. And if okay. that problem is solved, it may clear the other problem up for you. See, the other problem will be hard to duplicate, so it's going to be difficult to know if you fix it or not. But if you fix that one problem, you may fix both problems. Okay. Very good. All righty. All right. Thank you guys thank very you, much. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. We're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more of the Automotive Hour. Hi, folks. Louis Aldezan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we received from national dignitaries. Lewis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You're up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. 
Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alpazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Brian Terry, here with us. Between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? Cool weather lately, or cold weather we've been having. You notice an awful lot of batteries going out. Drastic temperature change will usually take a weak battery on to its death. Right. Writing an article on that on the site right now, and I've done a pretty good bit of research into it. And what they claim is that heat kills the battery. The heat kills the battery. Okay. The cold just reveals it. In other words, the damage was done during the hot. When it got the hot. The battery's weak. The first cold day, it just requires a lot more power, so that's when it's going to show up as bad. Okay. But they said the heat kills batteries. The cold just reveals the problem. Hmm. That's why you All see right. it in hot and in cold. Right. But he said that hot is the worst thing in the world. In fact, many battery companies produce two batteries. They produce a southern battery and a northern battery. And the southern battery is built differently from the northern battery, just because one's designed to work in cold, one's designed, designed to work, work in hot. Heat. Right. And they said that heat is just the absolute enemy of the battery. That's why you notice nowadays more and more they're kind of trying to either move them out of the engine compartment to get away from that heat. Right. Many times you'll see like a styrofoam shield of some sort around, around, the, battery. around the battery to try to protect it from the heat. But one thing that was interesting, and it kind of confirms what we've said for a long, long time, they said across the United States, the average life of a battery is 38 months. Okay. Now, we've been recommending changing them at three years, which is 36, 36 months. months. <laughs> exactly. That comes in pretty darn close. Right. But they said the average life of a battery is 38 months, and that's vastly different from just a few years back. They said back 10, 15 years ago, the average life of a battery was close to 48 months. But the reason being is because the electrical system puts so much more demand on it, you're cycling the battery considerably more now. In other words, the difference between the high and the low is much more drastic. Than it used to be because of the load that it's trying to carry now. Right, and every gotcha. time you discharge a battery, what happens is you get what they call sulfation, which is the sulfur from the sulfuric acid attaches itself to the lead plates. Mm -hmm. And that insulates the plates effectively so that they can't react with the acid any longer. It lowers a specific gravity because it's taken the sulfur out of the sulfuric acid, and that's when the batteries start to die. When you charge it, you knock this stuff off. It falls to the bottom of the case or goes back into the electrolyte in the form of sulfuric acid, and that's when the battery's recharged. But the problem is if you leave it on there for a length of time, it becomes hard, and it can no longer be removed. In other words, it becomes hard crystals. It attaches to the lead. And it can't? Be removed. Charging it can't remove it. And they said that probably 80% of all the batteries that died, died due to sulfation, mm -hmm. which means they've been allowed to discharge and sit in a discharge state. So they said that is the worst thing you can possibly do. You need to keep your battery charged. When you discharge it, you need to charge it again very quickly. Right. Bring it back up to 100% charge. Now, the problem is most electrical systems today are, say, 100 amps system in the car. On average, I mean, there's mm -hmm. some 150, there's some 80s, but right. say around 100 amps. The alternator is capable of producing probably 100 amps. Now, you go and you crank your car up. Well, that may draw 20 amp out of the battery. Now, alternators, the amount they put out, that 100 amps is probably at around about 2,000 RPM. When you're running around 1,000 RPMs, it may only produce 60 amps. So, if the car is requiring 80 amps to run and your car is sitting there running very slow, 20 amps is coming out of that battery to keep the car running. 
Now, when you pick it up to 2,000 RPM, it's producing, say, 80 amps, so everything's equal. Mm -hmm. When you go up above that, it produces more amperage and it charges the battery back. Exactly. So let's say you crank the car up, you make a little short trip to the grocery store, you never get above 2,000 RPM, you basically discharge the battery. Okay, it sits there for a while, you come back, you crank it up again, you draw you some more power, you drive it home. You are constantly discharging the battery and very rarely charging it because you're not driving it long enough or far enough. A battery under those conditions may only last two years. Right. Because it's constantly getting sulfated, and that sulfur builds up on those plates to the point that you just can't get it off anymore. That's when the battery dies. Right. You can see that when you're doing an alternator test with the proper equipment. Mm -hmm. When you hook the machine, hook the alternator checker to it, right. the engine's idling. Right. And it's only putting out maybe 40, 50 amps. Right. Well, to get the maximum amperage out of it with this certain mm -hmm. machine, right. you have to bring that. RPMs up over 2,000. 2,000, right. And then it loads the alternator up mm -hmm. to make it put out maximum amperage. That's right. And and you can really see it mm -hmm. when you're doing a check like that. Alternator is just a mechanical device, and the amount of output you get is directly dependent on how fast it's turning. Exactly. And it's just like any generator or just about any kind of mechanical device. The faster you turn it, the more power it's going to produce. But when they build an alternator for a car, they generally try to add enough in there where it can keep the battery charged. So they may design it, let's just say, 20% above the draw of the system. Mm -hmm. The average draw on your system is 80, then they're going to put a 100-amp alternator in there. Exactly. But if you're always running it down around 1,000 to 1,200 RPM, it's not going to produce that right. 100 amps at that, at that RPM. It right. has to get up to 2,000, 2,500 RPM, to which means driving, say, 60, 70 miles an hour for a couple of hours. Now it can recharge. Right. And so that's one reason why we see so many batteries going bad. And you think about it. What's a ba what's a, a battery cost you initially to buy it off the shelf? It costs, you know, average little. $60, $70, $80. Yeah. The good ones, the big ones might be as much as $120. But okay. even that, one record bill is 85 bucks. Exactly. And then you got to take it, have it towed somewhere mm -hmm. and have it fixed. You're going to pay the amount for the battery anyway. Right. Plus you're going to pay someone to install it for well, it. Well, not only that. And so, not only the inconvenience, but you are also stressing the devil out of your alternator and your starter. And what most people tell us is they'll come in and we'll tell them, hey, your battery fails load test. You need to replace it. And they'll say, well, it still starts fine. Eight volts will start that engine. Exactly. That's but a that, very crude analog motor. It doesn't take a lot of voltage. That's right. But that computer needs 12 volts. That's right. And, and that, when it doesn't see 12 volts, it freaks out. And that alternator is working like a Trojan. It is. Trying to produce enough power to keep that old battery up and going. So and some of them alternators run three, $400. Quite easily because the newer alternators are computer controlled. And what they were trying to do is to deal with some of these problems. You see, when a battery starts to get sulfated, what you don't want to do is sit there and pop an 80 amp charge on it. Right. You want to put a three, four amp charge on it for a certain period to take and dislodge some of this stuff, then go ahead and kick up. And then after you get it charging, then you want to cut back down and trickle charge over a period of time. Exactly. And the new computer-controlled alternators can do that, which is going to grossly extend the life of your battery if it's allowed to do the things it needs to do. The problem is most folks just don't drive their cars Far enough or long enough. Far enough or long enough. Exactly. This is particularly a problem with elderly people. We see it a lot. Just right. because they've generally got two cars because – they like the convenience of that, which is great, except they're not going long distance. It's not like they work out of town. A lot of them are uh, retired. Exactly. Not them. So they just don't drive the cars very far, and they have a lot, a lot of trouble with electrical problems, a lot of trouble with batteries and all. I had a lady come in not long ago, and she had a, I forgot exactly what kind of car it was, but 
She said she's put three batteries in it. I said, well, it's just because you don't drive the car enough. And there are little trickle charges you can buy now. You have to buy a good one. The little junk ones will do more harm than good because it'll overcharge the battery, which is worse than not charging at all. Right. But it has some little con- computer-controlled trickle chargers that you can hook on to supplement your battery if you're under those conditions, which may help some, too. Of course, the best thing is just drive it a little more. You right. Know, Go ahead and maybe take it out on a Sunday and go down to Man Shack and get you some uh, <laughs> get you some seafood or something. There you, know? you go. <laughs> so anyway, a little bit of advice there. That's one reason because we talked a while back about how batteries fail so much often. Anyway, exactly. I've done the research now. I pretty much understand what's going on. Hey, I want to thank everybody who listened this morning and every Saturday morning to the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend and go Saints.